Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. I saw that. Brick killed a guy. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Brick, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. You should find yourself a safe house or a relative close by. Lay low for a while, because you're probably wanted for murder. I'm proud of you fellas. You all kept your head on a swivel, and that's what you gotta do when you find yourself in a vicious cockfight. Michael Preston. Vicious cockfight. I mean, not the perfect way to describe uh, that fourth quarter against Boise State. However, I think, uh, boy, that escalated quickly. (laughs) In a lot of ways, really, too. The third quarter, Boise State taking that big lead. Then early in the fourth, up 31-10. And then, boy, that escalated (laughs) quickly. (laughs) What a win. I mean, I, I just, there's literally no other way for me to put that other than what a win. We'll talk about that here in our opening for this week's Kook Center. Danny Moran from the Oregonian. He covers Oregon State football. He's going to join us here in a little bit for nearly 20 good minutes uh, on the Oregon State Beavers and uh, his assessment of them so far this season. But, um, I mean, I, 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 just, I just, that really got, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. First of all, great play call by Eric Mealy for the uh, bounce it off the defender uh, on the punts by Eric Powell. Um, no, that I, I know that wasn't a real thing. Um, I, I I think you know there's we've already w- said so much about this game uh, just in the last few days, and so much has already again been said about how Washington State came back in this game against Boise State about how much they struggled. Uh, in the first half and the third quarter, and things really got cooking with Tyler Holinsky at quarterback, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. But I think the big thing I want to focus on first is the play of the defense. Uh, I, I mean, they they kept Washington State in that game. You gave up 24 points in regulation. I don't I don't like counting defensive touchdowns against them, uh, and Boise State did have one. So I don't like counting uh, those against them. Uh, but to only give up 24 points in regulation uh, against Boise State. Uh, again, we've talked about before how that should be enough. That should be enough for this offense uh, when all is said and done. That you know they, they, don't, need, they don't need to, you know, 24 points. That's, that's enough. You should be able to go out and score that many points if you're this air raid offense. And boy, did they ever do their part. Peyton Palour, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week for his interception return for touchdown. He had 14 tackles in the game as well. Isaac Dotson had 10 tackles. Frankie Luvu and Hercules Mata'afa absolutely lived in that Boise State backfield. I think the whole defensive line struggled more generally than I thought they would. But Frankie, Frankie Luvu killed a guy. He brick-tamlined Brett Rippon. He absolutely killed... I have no idea how Brett Rippon held on to that ball when Frankie Louvu tackled him. I have absolutely no idea. 
And that happened at the opposite end of the field from where my seats are. And I, I think I felt the vibration from that hit all the way down in my seats. Hercules Mata'afa absolutely feasted on Saturday. Watching a little bit of the replay, you know, from home. I mean, the better, you know, camera angles or whatnot from the ESPN broadcast, better than my angle from my seats. It just, you had to double him if you wanted to stop him on Saturday. You had to. There was just no way Boise State could stop him without a double team. I mean, those guys absolutely lived in the backfield and made it absolute hell for Boise State to block them at all. I mean, that it was just incredible how those guys played. Mata'afa had three tackles for a loss. He had half a sack. Frankie Luvu had two and a half sacks. Nambi Aguayo, don't want to forget him either. He's a favorite of our Britain Rants. He should be a favorite of everybody, frankly. He had one sack as well. So four sacks on the day uh, for the defensive line. Now, problem being, Boise State had five. And thought the offensive line was a strength uh, for WSU, but they did not play like it uh, on Saturday. And boy, did Mike Leach uh, ever let them know after the game and on Monday. Saying, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, you put the softest guy from the Boise State defense in this room with the biggest guy from my offensive line, and there'd be nothing left of my offensive lineman but a grease spot. And I, you know, I, I can disagree with Mike Leach's methods of calling out his players and whatever else. And now, you, you know, you can too. Uh, but he's not wrong. He's not wrong about how the offensive line played. They looked they looked bad. They looked very bad on on Saturday against Boise State. And I think that, that kind of moves to a more general point I want to talk about here. And it's that... Yeah, I, I picked WSU to lose this game uh, in our preseason predictions. But I think that at least the thought from most folks before the game, and from me too, was that Washington State was a better football team. And that, that was kind of a belief I developed uh, throughout the week leading up to the game. And boy, that it just was not the case for 52 minutes. The only touchdown WSU had at that point was a scoop and score from Robert Taylor on a sack by Frankie Louvu and Hercules Matafa. That was it. I mean, this offense looked absolutely neutered. Absolutely neutered against Boise State. And what we said last week about Luke Falk, and I know there were people complaining about what we said and that he needs to go downfield more. He needs to be that guy being confident. And everybody was fine with, you know, a lot of folks were fine with, well, he just took what the defense gave him, so that's fine. And against Montana State, that is fine. But you cannot do that against better teams. And boy, did it ever show on Saturday. Luke Falk looked completely neutered. He had one long pass to Renard Bell, but Renard Bell was more wide open than about any receiver I've ever seen on that play. He looked absolutely neutered. And Tyler Holinsky came in, struggled at first in that first drive, but he seemed to have command of the offense after that, willing to go downfield, 
willing to make the throws that Luke Falk was not willing to make on Saturday. And Mike Leach said as much after the game, look, we were riding the hot hand. And Tyler Holinsky was certainly the hot hand on Saturday. Who would have ever thought that he would be the one to lead your team to a comeback? Who would have thought that? I mean, I you know, we we saw what we you know, thought was a good quarterback last year in his brief action against Arizona. He certainly looked the part and he has looked the part in the spring games as well. But I down 31-10 and Tyler Holinsky's in the game with eight minute, you know, with nine and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Nah, yeah, no way they're going to come back in that game. But again, they got some luck. They got some very good luck. The bounce off the defender on the punt. The mind-bogglingly dumb pass from Montel Cozart that Peyton Palou intercepted and ran back for a touchdown. But in these types of wins, there is an element of luck as well. You don't just win that game from that deficit after that offensive performance through the first 51, 52 minutes or so without a little luck. And I think it would be stupid to say that there was none. There was some luck in that. But the biggest concern for me, you know, we talked about how good the defense, how, how well they played on Saturday, and, and really and truly they did. They they have been, as, as Jeff said in his piece on Monday, they have really been the unit that has propped up this team uh, so far this season. I know a very young season, but so far they've been the better unit. 44 points, and that includes three overtime periods, is a pretty dang good performance. And actually, we'll say again, 37 points, because I don't want to count that defensive touchdown. That the offense has struggled this much, and that we see Luke Falk, now it's been five straight games. Five games in a row where he has not looked good at all. The Montana State game, yeah, fine. He didn't throw any interceptions, but again, that's a lot of yards after the catch from James Williams helping in that game. A lot of yards after catch helping in that game. And I I don't know what is wrong. I, you know, is it a mental thing? Is it a physical thing? What is it with him? Mike Leach said Monday, though, he's starting. He is the starting quarterback. And it, he has obviously earned that to this point. He, I mean, I'm not going to take it away from him based on one week. And I think that's stupid to do. You, you don't take it away from him based on one week. But at one point in that Boise State game, I saw Tyler Holinsky come in and I said, good. Good. Because it, clearly Luke Falk was not going to win that football game. And if it meant going to somebody else, then fine. I don't know what is wrong, but it is concerning. And this team, this Oregon State team, not only in Luke Falk's past, but in his future, as in this Saturday, is primed. It is primed to be his get-right game. It is primed to be his get-right game. There is no team he's had more success against in his career. His first start ever was against Oregon State. He's had two more since then. In those three starts, he's 126 for 157, 1,293 yards, 16 touchdowns, and two interceptions. I mean, just the dude has been 
bonkers good against Oregon State. And now they are missing their two starting cornerbacks. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is like going to the doctor with a cold and they give you a medication that just makes you feel better in three or four days. And it's the, the, the exact thing you know you need to feel better. And the doc says, yep, this is exactly what you need. Here you go. You'll feel better in no time. And you do. That is what the Oregon State Beavers are for Luke Falk. No matter who's been on the defense, no matter who's been the head coach, Mike Riley and Gary Anderson both, no matter what, this has been a game where he has flourished above any other against, against any other team. He is not this good. This is this is as good as he gets against anyone. I, I want to be crystal friggin' clear about that. There is no one he plays better against than Oregon State. And they don't have their starting cornerbacks. And they haven't registered a sack all year on defense. And in three games, they've only registered 10 tackles for a loss. And they've given up 58 points and 48 points and 32 points to an FCS team. I mean, (laughs) again, the prescription's written out. If Luke Falk can't dominate this football team, that's a problem. That's a really big problem. And if he's not able to be the Luke Falk we know he can be, now you have to start to wonder. After this game. You'll have another game against Nevada where, you know, again, a Mountain West team that's okay, not great. But after that, you're into it. USC on a Friday night at home, that's a top five team on the road to Oregon. Oregon doesn't look like a slouch anymore. On the road to Cal on a short week. Home against a very, still very good Colorado team. You're straight into it. And if you can't get it right against Oregon State, I don't know if you can. And I, I this is this is surprising, to say the least. I thought the last thing we were going to have to worry about this year was Luke Falk. It really did. But the last, you know, the Montana State game was fine, okay, whatever. But he got bailed out by them just sending eight guys into coverage all the time and leaving the underneath open. Boise State has the athletes to not have to do that, and they showed it. This is the get-right game. This is the game where you start to feel good again. You get your confidence back. Because if you can't do it against this football team, an Oregon State team that is struggling mightily a lot more than I thought they would this year, they gave up, they've given up 106 points to their two FBS opponents. 106 points. If you can't get it right against this team, I don't know if you can at all. I I just, I don't know if you can. And maybe that's a hot take, maybe, but it doesn't feel like it. And that's the crappy thing. 
Luke Falk's been a hell of a quarterback for two and a half years. And he should be the starter this week. He has earned that much. He has earned the right to have this job until he has lost it. If that makes sense. But play against Oregon State like you did against Boise State and you have lost it. This is the game to get right. So, to be blunt, you better go and do it. Danny Moran from the Oregonian coming up next to talk about the Oregon State Beavers here in the Coop Center. <laughs> Center hour uh, after a very thrilling, I guess we can call it thrilling, we'll call it thrilling, uh, I had a heart attack during the win over Boise State. I think we're hoping for things a little easier against the Oregon State Beavers uh, this week, a team certainly uh, down this year. And to talk about this football team, we're joined by Danny Moran of the Oregonian. He covers the Oregon State Beavers for uh, the newspaper and he does a brilliant job of it. Uh, Danny, I want to start out uh, here with uh, one and two this season had to squeak by Portland State to get that one win on the record books. Uh, if you had to give an assessment of the season so far, what would you say uh, about OSU's 2017? Uh, well, well under expectations, and uh, they're in really rough shape right now, I'd say, given that the injury report just came out. Uh, we learned that they will not have either starting cornerback, Xavier Crawford, or Dwayne Williams to play Washington State, which is obviously horrible news. Dwayne Williams, who uh, one of the fastest guys on the team, uh, their primary nickelback when they you know, play a nickel defense, and he, he's out for the year, uh, mm-hmm. learned recently. So uh, that bad news in, in, the short, in, you know, in the short term kind of going forward, but looking back at the last three weeks, um, I don't think there's anything that anybody expected, and I probably include a lot of guys on the team. You heard all the right things coming off of a four and eight season, but one that ended on an upswing with uh, wins over Arizona and Oregon. It just felt like there was a lot of momentum. Guys were talking about a bowl game. It seemed that even though they had a tougher non-conference schedule, having to start at Colorado State and then hosting Minnesota, who was a bowl team last year, obviously Mm -hmm. was very successful uh, against Washington State, that there was still a good chance that they could really push the program forward after a couple of years of rebuilding under Gary Anderson. And uh, to say that they were not competitive in the second half of either the two losses, it would be an understatement, mm-hmm. particularly last week, throwing, uh, you know, having 18 plays for 35 yards against Minnesota. Um, and like you said, Michael, having to really squeak by, run a two-minute drill at the end of the game to be able to get by Portland State. Uh, and again, in both those games, all three games, honestly, the defense has really struggled. So it's, it's just been 
really a, a bit of a disaster so far. Yeah. Um, and, and given how tough the schedule is, it's going to be hard to see when they turn it around soon. I want to talk a little bit more about the defense uh, later on because it's obviously a big thing uh, against Luke Falk and this passing offense. So we'll get to more of that in a little bit. But Gary Anderson, uh, in his third year, uh, kind of going through the same thing Mike Leach went through in his third year at WSU, coming off a year with relative success. WSU a little bit more successful in their second year under their new head coach. But going into the third year, a bit of a, a bit of a downturn. I mean, obviously, this is not what Gary Anderson was expecting. Uh, but, but you know, is this what the fans were expecting in this third year? And how happy are they uh, with Gary Anderson right now uh, in this third season of one and two and barely one and two? Yeah, no, this is not close to what anybody expected. I think there was a lot of... Um, trying to think of the right word. I don't want to say anger because that's too strong at Mike Riley by the time that he left. But I think when he departed for Nebraska after the 2014 season, you know, there was a sizable portion or a decent portion of the fan base that I think was ready to move on from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the way he left obviously made it made an impact because he wasn't like he was fired. He went to another school. So it was a big boon for Oregon State to be able to Get Gary Anderson away from Wisconsin, you know, a really, really successful program. Obviously, he still, you know, was riding a bit off the success that he had at Utah State and how he turned that program around. And he hasn't shied away from making comparisons to Utah State and basically, I, I think, outlining the pace of how the rebuild would occur. But this is the first time we've really seen the fan base. And again, I can't speak for everybody. But the first time we've seen them really, really upset and pointing the finger at Gary Anderson just from messages we received, you know, different people you talk to. And mm-hmm. I think there is an understanding that this was not going to be a quick fix. But I, I think in part because the expectations were relatively high. I mean, again, we're talking about six and six, seven and five as like a, a big expectation. But it's just the way the team has looked so non-competitive in some of these games. And like you said, having to struggle with Portland state, there is this sense that, uh, I don't want to say he's lost the fan base because he can always get them back by winning, but there is, there's some serious concern as to right now what, what's going on because things that you'd expect like the defense to improve Mm -hmm. really hasn't occurred. They're still getting pushed around up front like they were, two years ago when they were transitioning from a 4-3 to a 3-4. The running game, which should be a strength, given that they have Ryan Dahl or Davis Pierce. Um, and added that actually a couple key pieces with Thomas Tyner coming over from Oregon, Travoris Johnson transferring from TCU. It's actually worse than a year ago when they didn't have, in theory, uh, as much of a passing game, at least the threat of a passing game. Yeah. So... There's a lot of these issues that are just lingering year to year, and because it's looked so bad early, there are a lot of people wondering just, is he the guy? Now, I'm not making any judgment on whether or not that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'll, he'll have at least another year to figure it out, even if things go badly this year. But um, it, it's changed pretty quickly, given that he just got an extension coming off of last season. They beat, they beat the Ducks, which is a huge, huge deal for the fan base, coming off of eight straight losses. So it, it's turned pretty quickly, I'd say, here. Yeah. I want to talk about the quarterback situation. Uh, you know, we there were kind of it was like a rotating, you know, it was like a revolving door last year for Oregon State in terms of who was playing quarterback on a week to week basis. Basis, they seem to have found their guy in Idaho transfer Jake Lutton. Uh, WSU saw a little bit of him a, a year ago when they played 
Washington State. Uh, how would you evaluate his performance uh, so far this season? It's been spotty. Uh, four touchdowns, four interceptions. Uh, the, the pass protection was pretty good in those first two weeks. Uh, so some of the balls that he forced uh, were his fault, but I think two of them were not his fault. Talking mm-hmm. about the interceptions, uh, I, I think the the real concern was last week against Minnesota. A couple times, particularly in the second half, they were able to only rush four uh, linemen and or three linemen and a linebacker at points and get pressure. And, and Luton hasn't quite shown the ability to respond great when he's pressured in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, occasionally he can roll out despite being six foot seven. Uh, but that's typically when he either forces things or, or doesn't put the proper touch on a ball. And obviously with the way Washington State's defense played last week, forcing turnovers, scoring touchdowns on defense, um, and with, with Hercules you know, up, up the middle, uh, it's kind of similar to what they may have seen at Minnesota. And I think that's concerning for Luton going forward because uh, he hasn't quite shown yet that he can handle that level of consistent pressure. Right. Ryan Nall's uh, season stats so far kind of passed the eyeball test in terms of him still being a pretty good running back. And WSU fans know all about him from last year, if I recall correctly, a 90-yard touchdown run uh, in the first half of that game in Corvallis. Is he still the big offensive threat for Oregon State? You mentioned uh, with Luton's struggles at quarterback. I know they, you know, you do have Isaiah Hodgins, a former WSU committed receiver, but is Ryan Nall still kind of the go-to guy on offense when it comes to the big threat for the Beavs? Yeah, in theory, it'll be interesting to see what they do because last week they actually started Arcadis Pierce, which has surprised a lot of people. Uh, their, their rationale was, well, he's, he's a little more speedy, uh, a little more nifty on the outside, so that they, given what Minnesota had up front, they wanted to try to work the perimeter more often. And mm-hmm. then when Ryan Dahl actually came in, you know, in the second half, uh, even though he did play in the first half, uh, he fumbled, which is pretty rare for him. He fumbled deep in Oregon State territory. It led to a quick Minnesota touchdown. So, uh, was not his best performance by any means. So he's still their, their workhorse, as, as Gary Anderson says. He's still, I think, clearly their best running back. Um, but it's been interesting to see that they, they've really tried to establish that passing game early. Uh, a lot of first down throws from Jake Luton that some were successful, some less so against Minnesota. And that, I think, put them in less of a position to use Nall. Because looking at more second, ten, third and eight kind of scenarios and it really just wasn't the opportunity to get him the ball so I, I, I don't expect that to be the same throughout the year but mm-hmm. uh, you know he has been shut down at different points and, I, and part of it too I don't think the offensive line is as good as it was a year ago I want to talk about uh, this. This kind of surprised me a little bit. You can follow Danny on Twitter at Danny J Moran, M O R A N on Twitter. Uh, Gary Anderson at his press conference on Monday mentioned he was hinting at schematic changes to the offense. Is that something that W or that Oregon State really wants to be doing uh, in their Pac-12 opener against against Washington State, a, a defense that's been playing pretty well so far this year? I mean, ideally, no, because, yeah. you know, they would have had more success to this point. But coming off a 14-point performance, you know, one of those touchdowns came when Minnesota fumbled deep in its own territory. So they were really unable to sustain consistent drives last week. Uh, one, one of the issues, I mean, they, they had Victor Bolden, who, if you follow the NFL, made the 49ers roster by taking two kickoff returns for touchdowns in the preseason. So... He has elite speed, 
and was utilized a lot in fly sweep scenarios last season, which opened things up for the run game. So he's gone, mm-hmm. and they haven't quite found that piece to, I think, be a legitimate threat to take the ball, you know, to take the eyes of the defense away from Nall or Pierce going up the middle. And given that the passing game has been spotty at different points, particularly last week, they need to find something new. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. Ideally, this would not be the case heading into Washington State, but I think the performance Saturday, like I said, only being able to get 35 yards in the second half and only being able to run 18 plays was something that indicates they need to try something new. Yeah. Uh, what you may see is, is some of Daryl Garrison, who didn't, was, was injured last year when Washington State played Oregon State, but he was their starter initially. He's the backup now. He's a little more mobile. Uh, they didn't go to him at all against Minnesota, but used him decently against Portland State. Uh, he may give them another look there. Uh, let's move on to the defense uh, here, Danny. Uh, boy, 58 points against Colorado State in that Week 0 game, 48. Last week against Minnesota, as you mentioned, gave up 32 to Portland State. What has been their big issue so far? Because that is an awful lot of points to be surrendering in each and every game. I know that you know Colorado State's offense is okay. Minnesota's is too WSU knows all about that from the Holiday Bowl, but what's been the big issue uh, for OSU's defense this year? <laughs> it's, it's been a lot of everything. Everything, honestly. yeah, every, I, I, yeah everything. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I will say the main issue, if you're looking at one point where it all starts, it's in the trenches, it's on the defensive line. They have just not, I mean, they set the goal this year of 30 sacks. They're at zero right now. Oof. Part of that is the fact that Minnesota only needed to throw the ball eight times. Yeah. last week, but also you look at the flip side of that, Minnesota felt comfortable running the ball 58 times knowing they could just grind that defense from front down uh, you know, you just see the guy, you know, even when Connor Rona, the starting quarterback for Minnesota threw the ball eight times, he completed seven passes, generally had good time to throw uh, the inability, I'd say, to consi- you know, get consistent pressure or plug gaps up front to force opposing quarterbacks in the tougher situations has been the issue. And mm-hmm. you look last week, I believe Minnesota was 9-13 for 13 on third down, too. Some of those are short yard situations. Some of them were, you know, situations where they just converted on, on longer plays. But, yeah, you know, mostly the defensive line because that's just an area where they don't have a lot of depth. And then they've had an injury to a defensive end, Titus Malegua, who um, played last week but is clearly banged up as is uh, starting inside linebacker and captain Manasseh Hungalu. So we talked about the injuries in the secondary, too. So r- right now, it's, it's all over, unfortunately, for them. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd say it starts up front on the defensive line. Let's talk about those injuries in the secondary a little more right now. Uh, Xavier Crawford, Dwayne Williams, as you mentioned earlier, both of them uh, not playing in this game against Washington State. And they are starting cornerbacks uh, against the air raid offense. Now, Luke Falk has... Had his issues so far this season. However, he is going to be the starter uh, this Saturday. Uh, who are who's behind these guys on the defense uh, for Oregon State, and how effective do you think they can be? Uh, play, you know, not an ideal situation to be against a passing offense uh, coming into a game when you lose two starting cornerbacks, obviously. But how effective can their backups be? Yeah, you know, the interesting uh, Kyle White is is one of the backups. He actually has started in the past. Uh, he actually came to Oregon State as a running back, uh, transferred from junior college and converted last year. So, a bit of a surprise to see him. But, he, you know, to his credit, he had an interception against Colorado City. He has definitely improved over the course of this season. 
uh, or this offseason, I should say. So he'll, he'll be the starter, like they mentioned, Irvine, who's a sophomore who looked, you know, he was in line to start um, and then didn't play against Portland State. And they, mm-hmm. the, the coaching staff was kind of mum on why that exactly was. Uh, he did get in the game last week, had a costly pass interference penalty on third down that really set Oregon State back. So he's got a lot of talent, uh, you know, a lot of size uh, coming out of Florida. Very uh, big athletic physical corner, but, uh, you know, I think it has been prone to some mental errors that have kept him from getting on the field. So those will be your two guys. Short of that, they're, you know, there's not a ton of depth at that point. They lost uh, Preston Deku, who was their best cornerback uh, to the NFL. He it was a fifth-round pick by the Texans, and mm-hmm. uh, clearly his absence is for the secondary. But that, that's likely what they'll go with uh, on Saturday. They're going to open conference play uh, this Saturday against Washington State. Uh, and this is WSU's first conference game uh, as well. In fact, this kind of starts a, I, I see no other way to call this for Oregon State other than an absolute murderer's row of games. They go to Pullman this Saturday, then they come home to Corvallis in two weeks. And you get a week off after this. They play the Huskies, then they have to go to the Coliseum in L.A. So two straight top ten teams and then home to face Colorado and another ranked team in Stanford. This, I mean, all year these five games had to be circled on the schedule. Is like, please just let us get through this with a win at most. But now, how does this look to this Oregon State team, these five games to start the conference season? Well, and to go back to why the start of this this season was so bad, aside from the results on the field was, you really felt they needed to go at, le- uh, at least two and one yeah. to put themselves in position to make a bowl game. And so they haven't, uh, I believe Oregon State has won five conference games only once in the past seven seasons. So that's what they're looking at now. And, and you said that the, that schedule is brutal. Uh, the fact that their home games, you know, the games that in theory they would win are against Washington, Stanford, Colorado, mm-hmm. whose defense looks like it hasn't missed a beat since Jim Levitt left for Oregon. Uh, that's, that's just a tough draw. And then you look at Cal, you know, who they play later in the year uh, on the road. That's a team that maybe looks a little bit better than expected, given that they were supposed to be at the bottom of the Pac-12 North, having gone to beat North Carolina. So, yeah, no, it's... It, it's really, really a rough stretch. Uh, it's why the start of the year was so important. Mm-hmm. And when they go on the road later in the year, I mean, this team hasn't won a road game since 2014. So Jeez. even though the schedule maybe lets up a little bit, uh, that's the hurdle they're still going to have to cross and why the Colorado State loss was so tough. If you had to give me a prediction for uh, how Saturday is going to go right now, I know we're early in the week. I uh, haven't you know, gotten to that. I like to make my predictions on Friday when I you know, get all available information all week. So I'll ask you to do a little earlier than me. But uh, what what do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Final score? You know, give me a rough final score if you can. My colleague Gina Mizell, I think, said fifty-two to twenty. Oof. Uh, I'm probably in that ballpark. At fairness, I haven't really thought of a final score, but you know, despite to, to me, what what worries me for Oregon State is obviously the offense, but I think Washington State's defense. Um, you know, playing under Alex Grinch, they, they just. Uh, really showed me something against Boise State with, with the way that they were able to kind of turn the momentum of that game. I know obviously it wasn't a perfect effort, mm-hmm. and the Washington State offense struggled too, uh, but they just got a lot of playmakers, particularly being so stout in the middle, and given that Oregon State's big uh, kind of thing they could hang their hat on early in the year offensively was pass protection, and then that kind of imploded uh, against Minnesota. So I'm going to say 
somewhere in the ballpark. I'll, I'll be a little more generous and say maybe 45-17, but yeah, I see uh, a comfortable Washington State win. Danny Moran for the Oregonian. His coverage is very good. Gina Mazel also as well at the Oregonian covering Oregon State. These guys do a great job covering the Beavs uh, ahead of time. So make sure you check them out uh, for all your Oregon State coverage ahead of this one. Danny, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Danny Moran for joining us here on the Coog Center Hour. Some great insights to Oregon State there uh, from Danny. So make sure you follow his work at the Oregonian. Again, it's Danny J. Moran, M-O-R-A-N, on Twitter if you want to keep up with him uh, leading up to uh, the game this Saturday. I want to I touch on a subject I know we've touched on here before, and I have to do it again. I, I have to do it again, and I don't like that I have to do it again. Because it it just seems to be a constant thing here. Why is rushing the field a bad thing? I I mean this legitimately, other than something we're going to discuss here in a second. They're students. The whole act like you've been there before, the whole that we need a list of rules for when rushing the field's okay, does not apply to them. (laughs) A, they haven't been there before. When you are a student, you get those precious four years to watch football as a student. I can guarantee you, none of them have seen a comeback like that before, ever, at Martin Stadium. I don't care if it was over somebody unranked. I don't give a damn who the opponent is. It could have been an FCS team for all I care. Good. Rush field. Your students. You get to do that. You get to do that. And they're like... What do you think is going to happen if there's like a list of rules for when you can rush the field? Do you think any student in their right mind, oh, let me let me get that out of my wallet and check that before we do it. Everybody, hold on, hold on. Uh, No, this doesn't mean it. We can't do it. No. See, this this list of rules this curmudgeon sports person laid out for me. No. Doesn't, uh, doesn't say that anywhere on here. Can't do it. Give me a break. They are college students part of the point of being in college is to have fun and part of having fun is attending sporting events and something that's pretty damn fun in my mind is a comeback win like that if you want to bail over if you want to jump over that railing in martin stadium and risk the jump down i know how high that jump is if you want to do that be my guest be my guest Every time, every time I, I hear somebody complain about students rushing the field, whatever. And you don't have, you have a list when you do it. I'm reminded of, of one of my favorite clips of all time. And, and it just, it, 
it just it meets it so perfectly what it is here have have a listen to it put your hand down you smiling yes yes sir yes sir why are you smiling because i love football football's fun fun sir fun sir it's fun yes you sure i think so. now you thinking first you smile then you think you think football is still fun uh yes sir yes no no sir, sir uh it was fun. Not anymore, though, is it? Is uh, it? No, not right now. No, not right it's now. not fun anymore. No. Not even a little bit. Uh, no. Make up your mind. No, no. Think. Since you're thinking, now go on. Think. No, is no. it fun? No, sir. No. No, sir. Absolutely not? Zero fun, sir. All right. Listen up. I'm Coach Boone. Zero fun, sir. I feel like Petey. Every time. Every time someone complains about rushing the field, football is fun. For the students. <laughs> it may not be very fun to be on the other end of a Mike Leach dressing down, but it is fun for the students. Let them have fun. It is supposed to be that way. Be fun. Don't be Coach Boone there. Have fun. This ties into another thing I've been seeing going around uh, after... The students rush the field after the Boise State win. Uh, this has happened in the past with, uh, with I think something to do with Richard Sherman, I think, when he got fined. Maybe Marshawn Lynch, too. Is Fans start a GoFundMe to pay the fine. Now, the Pac-12, in theory, fines each school $25,000 for a field rush. And a GoFundMe has already cropped up online to pay WSU's fine. There is only one problem with that. I talked to the school yesterday. The conference has not contacted them yet about that. So as of this moment, there has been no fine. The school has not been fined. I'm going to repeat that one more time. The school... Has not been fined. So, where's that money going? Last I checked, there were you know a few hundred dollars on that thing. So, where's that cash going? But the thing that strikes me, and I guess disappoints me more, is that people would be willing to donate to that. A, a, a sum of money that the school can easily afford to pay. Even WSU can pay $25,000 for that. That is not difficult. The school can afford it. Not hard. What concerns me more is that people are willing to donate and I see $50, $25 to this asinine notion that we should be responsible for the school for paying that to the Pac-12 completely and utterly asinine notion. There is an organization at the school that would be more than happy to have that money. And it's the Cougar Athletic Fund. And your money would go a hell of a lot further with them than it would paying a fine that the school, again, can afford. Guys, I... 
the the minimum yearly donation is $50 and they will take that out of your bank account over 12 months if you want them to. That's like $4.10 a month. You could and and, and I I'm generalizing and I'm theorizing here but how many people are donating to that stupid GoFundMe and don't donate to the calf? I would be willing to bet it's more than a few. Your money goes so much further when you are helping pay for meals, when you are helping charter planes for coaches to recruit, teams to fly on, chartering planes for the women's basketball team so they don't have to take commercial when they're in their women's NIT run. Your money goes so much further and we are so far behind every school in the Pac-12 when it comes to athletic fundraising. Guys, pennies help. Literal pennies. I don't donate very... I, I donate what I can afford to every year. It is not much. But I do what I can. Because I feel a sense of responsibility to these coaches, to these athletes who I root for and talk about every week on this show and am critical of... I at least feel a sense of responsibility to help them with their education, with getting them fed, with helping them recruit, with whatever they... I don't, I don't give a damn what they want to use the money for. Your money goes so much further there. Hell, even as Jacob Thorpe, the old spokesman review beat writer, suggested, donate that money to hurricane relief. Donate that money to Harvey and Irma relief. It is so much better used in that way than helping the school pay a fine A they haven't gotten yet and B, even if they do, they can afford it. It is no big deal. It just, I... I don't know. CougarAthleticFund.com They're happy. Happy to take your phone calls. And they are happy to set up a monthly donation of $4.10 for the minimum $50 a year donation for you. They're happy to. They're there right now. Unless you're listening to this early in the morning or late at night. On your lunch break, call them. It's $50 a year. That's it. It's all they need. And your money goes immeasurably further there. Even just, I'm not even kidding, guys. Even just 50 bucks, it helps. $4.10 a month helps. And it's so much more worthwhile than donating to a GoFundMe where you don't even know where that money's going. You have no idea. No earthly friggin' clue. Dunderhead of the Week coming up next. Then Ask Michael Anything. We'll wrap it up here on the Cook Center Hour. <laughs>
Thunderhead of the Week time. I, uh, for most games, I spend the night at a friend's place in Pasco the night before and the night of the game. It just, you know, you know how expensive hotels and Pullman can be, you know, unavailable they can generally be, especially if you're a guy working in radio. You don't make a ton of money as it is to begin with. Uh, but on my trip over on Friday afternoon, uh, as you head east on I-82, just you're coming out of Benton City, there's a little hill that goes up a little ways. I'm sure some folks are familiar with it. And up ahead, uh, there was a truck going pretty slow in the right lane and a large convoy of cars behind him and a semi-truck at the end of this convoy. I was in the left lane doing about 77, 78, which I am aware is above the speed limit, but I was passing people. And uh, this semi-truck decided that he had had enough of going 45 in the right lane when I was less than 50 yards away from him. And he cut over into my lane going 45 miles an hour. And, uh, well, I can tell you for one thing, uh, the car we bought about a year ago, I'd never used the ABS brakes before, but now they, I know they work now. I know they work now. And swerving into the other lane and honking very loudly, uh, I've I, I now found out I can do all that at the same time. I think the coup de grace on all of it, uh, besides almost, you know, dying, uh, was when I passed him about... 45 seconds later, he had the gall to flip me off. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, uh... That all checks out. That all checks out. I don't know your name, dude, but... Rearview mirrors. I wasn't hiding your blind spot. Use them. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything. And the spokesman review beat writer, Theo Lawson, is Flacco Elite. He hasn't played very well this year, has he? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, probably not this year. At Keith underscore Clark underscore, is Young Ho Ko eligible for all name team? And is this the best name of a kicker ever? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. That is... That's all name team. That's gotta be all name team. Young Ho Ko. Yeah, definitely. The, the tragedies he plays for a team nobody cares about. At C Ra underscore Raj6, Cody Rogers, favorite place to eat in Pullman. I've said this a few times, uh, uh, and I, I think it's criminally underrated. Uh, golden teriyaki. I, re I really enjoy golden teriyaki. Decent and cheap, you know, and it's, and it's you know, decent and cheap. And quick service, and I, the, I went there often enough in school that they just do what I wanted when I walked in. Uh, at CCOOG8606, do you have any sports-related superstitions such as wearing a certain pair of socks on a game day, etc.? What's the weirdest one you've seen? Uh, my cousin has, like, this dance he has to go through before every Michigan game. And, like, touching different stuff in the house that I watch. He doesn't always, you know, he, he spends his summers elsewhere, but uh, when he's at home... Uh, he has to touch certain things in the house in a certain direction before mission game. That's a little weird. I, I my usually my my superstition when it gets w cold enough for this is to wear that like gray windbreaker Nike made a couple years ago. I bought that. 
uh, for myself. So I usually wear that. That's my, but it's also, it just looks good on me. At Brett underscore Gleason, who makes the best fast food tacos? So I'm, I'm going to take that the restaurant has to have a drive through to mean fast food. So places like Taco Del Mar, Chipotle are out. Del Taco makes the best fast food tacos. I'm, trust me on this one. Go. I know if you live in the south end near uh, Federal Way, Tacoma, that area, there is a Del Taco in Federal Way. Go there and just, just trust me. At Wazoo, Cougar X, Shane Pharma D, BCA, CP. Three most important tailgate foods. Some kind of pork. Some kind of pork. Uh, a veg, so you feel healthy. And then a uh, really heavy beer, because that's a meal in and of itself. At K Lockins, Keith Lockins. What's all the fuss about last year? We had two meh games and we're 0-2 this year. Two meh games and they're 2-0. and Would have been 10-2 and with two meh wins to start last year. Shouldn't we be feeling pretty good about eking out two wins while playing poorly? Or did we just get spoiled fast? We got spoiled fast, but I think they at least looked different um, in the second half against Boise State last year in that opener against Eastern. You can at least see the game a little bit more wide open. And also, with such an early start for the next two games, is there enough time to pregame? Yeah, always. And what do we do the rest of our day afterwards? Party and eat. That's usually my response. That's usually what I do. Uh, at Jay Schlegel, 31, Jason Schlegel, worst announcer, Rod Gilmore or Sergio Dip? Rod Gilmore, because he's not trying to do it in a non-native language. I'll give Sergio that. Dude did not have a non-native, or he was trying to do it in a language that he's not totally familiar with. Final one real quick, at Pumpkin Stos Latte, would you rather make a miraculous comeback or lead comfortably the whole game and win? Comfortable lead, man. That's simple. I'd rather, much rather do that. Friday show coming up. We'll give you a prediction then. We'll see you then on the Coop Center app.